Good morning. Welcome to 1111. So glad that you guys are here today. Yes, clap. We can clap that we are here. College football is back. How about that? That's nice. This is Texas. So that's uh, kind of good. Hey, as you know, this is a, a message for mature audiences. So uh, I think you've been duly warned. If not, I will duly warn you again. We're going to look at some mature subject material in the message today. Okay. So many years ago, there, there was a guy who uh, won the Nobel Prize in economics. And he was a brilliant mathematician by the name of Dr. John Nash. And perhaps you saw a movie that was made about Dr. Nash back in the late 90s by Ron Howard. The name of the mo movie was called A Beautiful Mind. How many of you saw or remember seeing the movie A Beautiful Mind? If you haven't seen that film, I would encourage you to see it. It won four Academy Awards, and it traces the journey and the story of John Nash, not only on how he received the Nobel Prize, but some of the struggles that he dealt with in his own personal life. Because in his 20s, he began to manifest the signs of a severe mental illness. In the midst of his studies, in the midst of his research, he began to believe that there was a man there from the CIA who was speaking secret messages to him. He believed that his roommate from college and his roommate's little nine-year-old niece was following him around almost everywhere he went. He saw them in his mind's eye as real, even though they were not there. So what's happening to Dr. Nash and what's happened to a lot of people in our society today is he was having what is known as a psychotic break. And, you know, we use a lot of terms, psychological terms, we kind of throw them around casually, you know, oh, you're acting psychotic or you're so paranoid, right, blah, blah, blah. And so we use these terms, but they have actual real clinical meanings and they also have real life application to people who are struggling with it, like this brilliant scientist and mathematician, Dr. Nash. So a psychotic break could be someone who is seeing uh, hallucinations like he was doing. It could be someone who is paranoid. They think they're being spied upon or poisoned. It could be someone who's having a manic episode where they believe, you know, grandiose ideas that, they're, that maybe they're going to be uh, the next president of the United States. I think you have to be crazy to want that job anyway. But I mean, no, seriously, or you believe that you're the Messiah. You believe that you're Jesus Christ. So a psychotic break is basically taking a break or disconnecting from reality, okay? So someone is probably having a psychotic break. So if we could bring 10 people up here on, on the platform today and ask them, you know, what color is Ben's uh, sport coat? You know, if nine out of 10 said navy blue and then one person said pink, chances are that person is having somewhat of psychosis. They're breaking from reality. Now, if Dr. Nash would have come to see me in my office back in the early, I don't know, 80s when he was struggling, I've often asked myself the question, what would I say to him? Because a lot of times people struggling with mental illness, their first point of contact is not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or a, a doctor, but it's someone in the ministry. 
So if I would have listened to him and listened to his story and asked him where he went to school and inquired about what he was studying about and what he was teaching there at Princeton, I would have thought, man, this is interesting. But as he would start unpacking the other stuff, the hallucinations, the psychosis, I would begin to think to myself, man, I've got a bigger problem here. This person, as great a guy as he is, as brilliant a thinker as he is, is having a psychotic break, a break from reality. So if it's possible for individuals to have a psychotic break, is it also possible for a culture or a group of people in the culture to have a psychotic break as well? to start believing things that are not true, that are not real and external reality. Calling something that is, that really is not. Calling something pink when everyone knows that it's really navy blue. Let me give you another story. True story about a guy named Walt. Walt uh, grew up in a different part of the country uh, and when he was uh, a little boy, he would go and visit his grandmother's house. And for some unknown reason, his grandmother would dress him every time he would come over in a bright purple dress head to toe. And, and eventually, um, his uncle found out about that and his uncle started to abuse Walt. And, and as Walt, as he grew older and it was a teenager, he had a, Walt had a wish or a desire to be a girl, though he was a boy. He asked God, God, you know, help me, change me into a girl. If I can just be a girl, then everything would be all right. And this unrest and this pain would go away. So he went to see someone in the helping profession. He went to see a doctor in Colorado. The doctor listened to him, listened to his struggle and said, you need to change yourself, try to change yourself from being a man to a woman. And so... He had surgery and then he changed his name from Walt to Laura and started living as a woman, as a female. Now, in a free society that we live in, or I should say society that used to be free, a grown man or woman can make choices. We all can make choices. Walt made a decision as a grown man, to start identifying as a woman, to try to transition as a woman. That's one thing. But to begin to teach children that that's okay and that's normal, I think a culture has become psychotic. This was found in the state of California's 2019 guide for their public school teachers, K through three. It says, while students may not fully understand the concepts of gender expression and identity, some children in kindergarten and even younger, so that's four or three years old, or even younger have identified as transgender or understand that they have a gender identity that is different from their sex assigned at birth. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was three years old, I couldn't distinguish a navy blue crayon from a purple one, okay? 
much less begin to understand or comprehend what is going on uh, in my own four-year-old, three-year-old sexuality as if. But that's what's being taught, trained to the teachers in the state of California as we live right now. I do find it a little bit ironic that a state and training from a culture right now that doesn't really believe that gender is something permanent or real almost burned down half their state because of a gender reveal party. That's a whole nother level of something I don't understand, okay? I just don't understand it. So here's what I believe. I believe our culture is in desperate need of an intervention in many of these areas. And, and listen, it's, it's important. I'm not just saying that. I'm not the only one that's saying that. And I, I could bring up on the stage today, you know, atheistic evolutionary biologists, agnostics, um, people in all various walks of life and scientists and mathematicians and other leaders and philosophers who would say the exact same thing. And that is when you're losing grip with the reality is something as basic as gender, whether someone's male or female, then you have lost touch with reality and all common sense and all scientific fact and reality. And what's happening in our culture today is that someone can simply declare themselves to be a certain gender. They can self-identify with a gender that's the opposite of their biological and physiological sex. So with that logic, you know, I choose to self-identify today as a six, seven Chinese woman, okay? Now I know that sounds, how can you do that? Well, I really can't, but, but what's more absurd? What's more absurd? So what's happening is not only do you have individuals, like I said, like Walt, who transitioned to Laura, choosing to do that as adults, but you have a society that's telling us that not only do we have to accept that reality, but we have to affirm it and celebrate it and act as if it's real. That's what they say in psychology as co-delusional. And I can't go there. And we can't go there as a church and as a culture. So what are we to do? How do we respond to this? Well, I think we need to go and first ask the question, what does God say about our gender, about who we are as men and women? And then look at the, the phenomenon of sexual brokenness in our culture today and how do we respond to that, okay? So, let's we'll start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, when God created man and woman, he created our masculinity, he created our femininity, if you would, to be a reflection of his character and nature. 
Now, this doesn't mean that God has a body and physical parts. No, no, no. But it simply means that our maleness, and if you're a woman, your femaleness is a reflection somehow of the very image of God. So we've been made in the likeness and the image and the beauty and the uniqueness of God himself. Awesome, an awesome reality. And the Christian faith and really the entire Western world for the last 1,500 years has been based upon that core reality. That's why we have rights as individuals and rights as people. It's because they're given to us by God, not by a government, not by a social construct. So God defines who we are as men and women. He defines who we are. And there's nothing more basic than our gender. Are are you having a boy or a girl? Doesn't get any more basic than that. My gender is not something that I can choose. It was something that was chosen for me. And when I start living outside of that, it leads to all kinds of confusion and pain and heartache. That's just how it is. And it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter how many laws are passed. It doesn't matter how many teachers in California or Texas or Florida are trained in this thinking. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the reality of who God is and who he's created us to be. So if that's true, if we're made in God's image as men and women, why the confusion? Why do some people feel like they are trapped in a different body? And why do they feel the need to try to change that either through surgery or through identifying in a a different way? Why is that? Well, let's go back here. If you look at the story, so if we're made in God's image, okay, he makes us in his image. But as we know, our images right now and who we are as human beings, as men and women, is not the way it's supposed to be. You're not the way you're supposed to be. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. I've got problems, you've got problems, I've got brokenness inside of me, you've got brokenness inside of you. And all of that is the result, the Bible says, of the fall, when we rebelled against God and who he is and the way he designed us. So we're made in God's image, but yet we are a, a broken image. And the way our brokenness, whatever that brokenness is in, we're just talking about sexuality and gender today, but our brokenness can be redeemed. So we can go from having a broken image to having a redeemed image. And that's what happens when God starts doing a work of grace in our life. God comes into our life God forgives us, God cleanses us, God welcomes us back into his family. 
We know that God loves us and accepts us, and then we're in the process of redemption, and we start that process of restoration. However, everything doesn't change like that. We all have a past. We all have a pain, and we bring that into our relationship with God, into our relationship with Christ. So many times, it takes time. It's a process of listening, of healing, of counseling many times in therapy or whatever it takes for us to begin to live out the identity and the life that God has for us. So if you're confused or something and you have a feeling, just because you feel a certain way or have a certain desire doesn't make that feeling right and it doesn't make it helpful. So we have all kinds of feelings and desires, right? Some are great, some are wonderful, some are destructive and negative. But my feelings and my emotions change. My gender does not. I don't need to act on every feeling and desire that comes into my heart and my life, and neither do you. It's simply not right. And on a more practical level, if you want, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. So what do we do? Where do we go? Well, as you know, last week, we started this brand new series called This Is Us. And we're talking about this is us in two ways. It's kind of a double entendre. This is us as the body of Christ, as the church, and this is us living in the U.S. and this culture that we're living in today. So our theme verse is Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. And Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians at Ephesus. And remember, Paul wrote a lot of his letters to address specific issues and problems. Last week, I started addressing the problem and the issue in our culture known as neo-Marxism, or some call it cultural Marxism. If you didn't see that message, you need to see it. But here's the verse. It says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed uh, and blown about by every wind of new teaching. This is a new teaching that's flowing into our society and our culture today. There's some parts of it, not a lot. Some parts of it are good. You can see why people are attracted to it. And some parts of it are absolutely distorted and destructive. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is head of the body of the church. So we saw last week, that the church and Christ sets our agenda, not the culture. So what will we do? One, we will speak the truth in love. Two, we will grow in Christ's likeness through this situation. That's God's goal for your life and my life. And three, we'll find our identity and unity in Christ, not in gender, race, or political affiliation. That's what we'll do. That's who we are. So it's important to realize when it comes to speaking the truth, that we not only speak the truth, but we live the truth. We've got to live the truth. 
Now, you know, today I'm, I'm addressing specifically, not exhaustively by any means at all, the issue of transgenderism. And the word transgender really is a made up word. It's brilliant, by the way, a brilliant word, a brilliant phrase, because trans means above, and of course, gender means our sex. So it means someone that is above gender. That, that reality doesn't exist, at least on our planet. So even to say the word kind of means that you agree with the thought there. I don't agree with the word because I don't want to spend all day parsing things. I will use the term transgender. So when it comes to people struggling with their sexuality, with their gender, how should we as a church respond? Well, I think we have to speak the truth in love. We can't buy into this cultural psychosis we can't be co-delusional and to believe things that are not real and external reality that, that are literally insane. We can't do that. At the same time, we're all broken. We all need help. We all need redemption. We all need healing in our life of varying degrees and in various seasons of our life. So, we have to not just speak the truth, we have to live the truth in love. So we accept in our church, everyone who walks through the doors of this church, okay? Everybody who walks through the doors of the church, we're accepted, okay? Just as we are, whatever we're struggling with. And if you're brand new, if you're watching, if you're here, Believe it or not, you're seated around a lot of people who are struggling big time with their life and big time with sin. Surprise, 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 okay? They all are. I am. So we come into the church and our, and our arms are open wide, the doors are open, and we accept anyone and everyone who comes here. Let's, going back to the transgender issue. Um, about, I don't know, two years ago, Bruce Jenner, who won the decathlon gold medal, I think in 1976, you know, Kardashian stepdad and all that, right? So he was trying to transition to become a woman. So he called himself Caitlyn Jenner and Caitlyn wanted to come to our church when he was in Houston, brought his film crew, everything. He sat right back there, okay? So after the service, he wanted to meet with my dad. So after the service, my dad walked back, right back there, and stood and talked and had a conversation with Jenner for a long time. My dad is not exactly a psychologist or counselor, not his gift. We all have our gifts. But he was in the zone that day, right? God was good, the stars was aligned, and he listened to what Jenner was saying for a long time. People were gathering around, taking pictures of it. And afterwards he said, hey, can I pray for you? And he laid hands on him and other people and we prayed for him. During that same time, we had some folks in the transgender community who knew where our church stood on the whole bathroom bill. And so they started coming to the 1111 service. And they sat right down there in the front row. Not for one Sunday, not for two Sundays, but for about four months. They, they were more faithful than most of our deacons, right? <laughs> they, they were there. And so, you know, some, some people were 
you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to be the church. We're going to be who we are. We all need the gospel. No matter what we're struggling with and what we're dealing with. So acceptance is critical. And we seek to do that as a church family. We seek to do that as individuals. But at the same time, or however at the same time, acceptance is not the same as affirmation. Okay? Acceptance is not the same as affirmation. If you're a parent, you get that. You accept your child, your children, unconditionally, but you don't affirm everything that they do. I can accept someone regardless of whatever the struggle they're trying to process and they're trying to work out. But I don't want to be destructive and to affirm them to walk down a path I know that will be harmful to them and to their soul and to their life. So I can accept someone without affirming them. Here's what one former transgender woman said about that. Said, affirming false concepts of cross-gender identities is not love. Helping someone reclaim their true identity in Christ is. People come here every, every Sunday who are living together, cohabitating, you're accepted. People coming here every day that are struggling with addictions, you're accepted. Struggling with anger issues, you're accepted. At the same time, we're not here to affirm each other in ways of conduct and behavior and lifestyle that are contrary to God's word and simply will not lead to the life that he has for you. I don't do that in my own life and my own family's life and I wouldn't do it in your life either. So as I've said many times before, the church is a hospital for sinners and not a country club for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners and not a country club for saints. We all need God's grace. We all need God's love and redemption. We all need healing in the broken areas, the distorted areas in our life. And the wonderful thing about the gospel is that, is that God in Christ meets us there. Jesus meets us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our confusion. As we lean into him and away from these desires that lead to destruction. If you know the 
rest of the story of Nobel Prize winning mathematician John Nash, he continued to have these hallucinations, the psychosis throughout his life, really, but he learned how to deal with them. The people that he hallucinated, they were still there. He said, I just chose not to listen to them. Walt, the guy I mentioned earlier who had transitioned to become a woman named Laura, he lived as Laura for eight years. And then one day he walked into the doors of the church and he met some people there and he met a pastor there and this pastor treated him and looked at him through the eyes of Jesus Christ and loved him and accepted him as he was living as a woman, as Laura. And as time went on and through the help of Christian therapy and through AA and through the love of this church, Laura went back to his original design as Walt, changed his name back to Walt, got married, has been married for 22 years and sober for 23 years. It's amazing, isn't it? And today, and today, Walt and his wife have committed their life to help people who were struggling with transgender issues and to meet them where they are with the grace and the healing power of God's love.